Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can reach us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com genesis123.co, or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end, where we're also going to be sharing some exciting opportunities, and please feel free to share this with others who you know will also find it of interest. So today's program is really interesting because it's a product of a couple of different pieces. First of all, I'm really excited to invite back uh, a guest, a friend, Rabbi Chaim Leiter, who I'll I'll give an introduction or formal and proper introduction for in a minute. But as you know, we have a regular series called Ask the Rabbi. And so some months ago, one of our listeners asked specifically a question about uh, Jewish practices relating to circumcision. So this has actually been a conversation that's been brewing for some time. And and, and it's appropriate that we're doing, it's most appropriate that we're doing it now, even though We've been talking about doing it for a few months uh, already, but we're also tying it into something that's really appropriate and seasonal. And I want to just mention that before I introduce Rabbi Leiter, I want to explain something, how how Jews, it's so interesting because Christians mostly don't know this about uh, about Jews, that we read the whole Bible, the whole Torah in an annual cycle. And just two weeks ago, we began reading Genesis again from the beginning, no pun intended, mm-hmm. and we read the whole cycle through Deuteronomy in an annual cycle. We call them in English, it's a Torah portion every week, or in Hebrew, a Parsha. And this week, we're, we're jumping into, it's convenient that the Torah portion that we're, that we're reading this week relates to circumcision but it also relates to something else that's really personal for me. And I know it is for, for Rabbi Leiter as well. And I'll jump into use that as a good jumping off point uh, to, to make the introduction. So Rabbi Leiter was born and raised in Philadelphia. He studied at the Jewish Theological Seminary um, in, in education and then studied at a yeshiva here, uh, excuse me, here in, in New York. Uh, Chovavei Torah for two years and finished his rabbinic ordination here at what's a yeshiva called Yeshiva Hamiftar, which is here in Efrat, where I live and where coincidentally he lives. We both live on the seventh floor of adjacent apartment buildings, so we can throw water balloons at one another and candy at his kids. And only every and once in a while. Only once in a while when we get a little bit. Maybe we should do a Real Housewives of. <laughs> The seventh floor of, uh, of the Zayat neighborhood. I don't know. Very, very localized Real Housewives. Yes. There we go. Um, since being ordained, well, he, he he made Aliyah in 2009. That means he came uh, and, and became an immigrant here in Israel. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about. Um, but since being ordained in 2011, 
He's been an educator here in Jerusalem at uh, an institution called Pardes, Midrashat Darkenu, where he's teaching Judaic studies and engaging on a whole lot of other uh, other levels here. He's also a frequent writer um, in um, um, a publication called Kfeller, the Jerusalem Post, Times of Israel, Mariv, Arut Sheva, Yisrael Hayom, and Hadibrut. And that's just, uh, I think, scratching the surface. And we often trade articles and ideas of that, that we're writing about. And more significantly toward what we are speaking about today, the topic of uh, of um, circumcision, Hebrew in Hebrew, the, the phrase is called, the term is called Brit Milah, which is, comes from the biblical commandment that God gave to Abraham in this week's Torah portion. And, and that's what we're going to get into. And as such, he's, he's trained uh, by two teachers here to do ritual circumcision. In Hebrew, the word is called mohel. Uh, sometimes people who are familiar with the English or the Yiddish will hear the, the word mo, moyel, but it's the same word and comes from the, the, the Hebrew milah. You'll hear the similarity between moel and milah. It's the same root in Hebrew. And he's, and he's established an organization called Magain Habrit, an organization committed to protect both the sacred ritual of Brit Milah and, of course, make sure the children who undergo, circum, undergo circumcision are, are doing so at, the, at a proper, uh, proper level. Um, for the past few years, Rabbi Leiter has also been working on a wide variety of interfaith dialogue with his own podcast, You'll Never Believe This, which is a bi-weekly program hosted by himself and Ralph Supper, a Lutheran pastor, and through which they explore a variety of issues through uh, different dimensions of spirituality and topics on religion, edgy things such as stand-up comedy and surfing, of which he's an ad- avid uh, surfer, and it's about to kick off its second season um, as we speak now. And Rabbi Leiter, as I mentioned, lives here in Efrat in the Judean mountains where I live. And he is married to uh, Leah and they have four uh, wonderful children. And sometimes I say that rhetorically, but in this case, I happen to know them personally. They're each one delightful and engaging. And and so I want to jump in. Um, First of all, Rabbi Leiter, it is always a delight. I love having conversations, yelling across from our balconies in person. And when we get to see each other and hang out, well, I'm really thrilled to welcome you back as a guest on Inspiration. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So, so this is a very rich um, topic, and and I want to get into a couple of uh, a couple of things. Uh, basically, what we're going to begin talking about is is the Torah, the Bible, beginning at Genesis 12, and when I was reading through preparing this, I kind of realized, and I don't know if anyone else has ever used this, but but Genesis 12, I know we have different traditions in Judaism as to the, the, the birth of the J- Jewish people, but Genesis 12 is the beginning of the nation where God s- calls Abraham and selects him, and, and we're going to talk about what why that's significant, which made me think that Genesis 1 through 11 is kind of like a prequel. It's important stuff. It's laying the foundation. 
But if we're looking at, and I, and I, we're talking now by Zoom, so I'm seeing you thinking about this whole idea. If we're thinking about, okay, we, we've got these first 11 chapters, which cover, by the way, cover about 2,000 years of history. There's a lot of stuff and it's important foundation. But really, I feel like now we're introducing the main character. You're staring off to the right, looking up and thinking about what I said as being somewhat provocative and maybe. Well, no, 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 so not, not really at all. Actually, what's interesting is that um, one of the things people like to bring up is that the whole of the book of Genesis is a prequel, right? That, that the very first, Rashi is one of our commentators on the Torah. And Rashi's first comment on the whole Torah is, <clears throat> wait, what's, what's this whole thing for? right? If the Torah, which is what the Jewish people believe, is all about the commandments, it's all about the mitzvot that we're supposed to do, the, the, the question comes up, why doesn't it start all the way in, in Shemot, in the book of Exodus? Why doesn't it start all the way there, where we get our first commandment to have the months? And the answer is, so that, we, that the people know, which is very connected to what we want to talk about, I think, um, that the people know, uh, outside of the, the Jewish people, that, you know what, this land was given to us. And it starts here with this main character. It starts with Abraham, right? And that's where it all began. Well, but Abraham, there are a couple of commandments that are coming before the book of Exodus. Correct. But it's not, but sorry, I should have, I should have clarified. It's the first commandment to the Jewish people as a whole, as a nation, right? Ah, That's right. The first commandment is all the way in Exodus. It's not here now. And there are a couple of things that pop up and there's a couple of things that we could call to do. And one of them we're going to talk about circumcision is one of the things we're told to do, but it's not when we're being told as a nation, it's being told to an individual that then gets passed down through the generations. Ah, but, but, but right. But okay. So you could say, so, so uh, I don't know when I thought of the whole prequel idea, I'm thinking of Star Wars because I see all the original and I don't know how many sequels and prequels there have been to Star Wars or, or Planet of the Apes or, you know, who knows what other films there have been prequels and sequels to, but you can't have, I, I would even make the case that you could have the, the Torah begin in Genesis 12 because this is where the main character is introduced. You need some background. Um, and and, and this, the, the commandment of, of circumcision that we're going to get to, I want to I want to hold off on that because I, I want to follow the the verse uh, the verses um, sequentially, but the, the the commandment is given to Abraham for all the generations. It's not like something, oh you, you should do this today, Abraham, because it's a good idea. It's, yeah. it's very clear that it's for all the generations. Correct. So- and we have a lot of things where there are questions, where a lot of things that we get even later on when it's given to the whole Jewish people, there's a question, is that only a commandment for right now, like ah. for the, the point in the story we're in, or is it for the, all the generations? And clearly you're right. Clearly this, this is uh, the command of, of uh, Brit Milah, of circumcision, is for the generations. Absolutely. Right. 100%. Right. And when, when God, and this is what I wanted to jump into, and I want to speak personally about it, but also the beginning of Genesis 12, we, anyone who's been following inspiration from Zion knows that it's a program of the Genesis 1-2-3 foundation, and Genesis 1-2-3 comes from Genesis 12-3. We, for, we, we forget for a moment that God said, calls Abraham in Genesis uh, 1 and 2 and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then says, although uh, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And then the families of the world will be blessed through you. That's all leading up to something that people talk about a lot in Genesis 12, 3. But 
but this is the this is the the Torah portion where we're introduced to the lead players. Oh, and he God says, "I'm going to make a great nation." Right, mm-hmm. so he's giving a commandment not just for now, but for all the generations, and and, and it's foreshadowing what would be then a sequel um, of of well, this is all coming down the road, but it's it, it's all it's all now, and and so I want to focus on this on a personal level. I don't think we've discussed this last time uh, when I had you on. God tells Abraham leave his land, leave the, leave his relatives, leave his father's house and go to the land that he, that God will show Abraham. And then God promises that he's going to make, uh, make a great nation. Now, I, as I'm reading this, preparing for today's conversation, I'm thinking, wow, this is really virtually unprecedented. We know that God communicated a little bit with uh, with Adam and Eve and God communicated with Noah mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and others. But Abraham would not have been wrong to be doubtful or not believe and continue his pagan life and say, oh, you know, you know, how do I know who who, who are you? Right. Um, but how he was selected was not as dramatic as Moses. Correct. But Abraham, right? Mm-hmm. So very much so. I mean, we. The truth is, uh, I think that the commentators go through why was Moses selected, and and if you're not paying attention, you might not even notice because there are these couple stories thrown in about Moses, but each one of them is very significant, and we don't re- the real introduction to the character of of Abraham is is literally just a couple verses before this command to go, and we don't know anything about him, and and I just want to point something out that I love about the story, which is if you go back into last week's Torah portion, right, the very end, he's already left. According to the chronology of the last the, the last parsha that we read, he's already left, and all of a sudden, all the all the commentators ask the question: Wait, if he's already left, then where is he leaving from? And and if it's that he's leaving from his father's house, didn't he already leave from there? So there's a whole question of the chronology of it. But we really know very little about about Abraham. We don't know who he is as a person until much actually until after his. I feel like we get a much more of a sense of who he is after his circumcision. That's when we start to see the the character of the person, right? Where he starts to challenge God and say, "Don't destroy the city of Stone and Gomorrah, right? Don't 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 destroy that city if there's even fifty righteous people." All of a sudden, you go, "Oh, okay." Now I can see why he was chosen. But it's the reverse of what we get with Moses. Moses, we get these stories of him saving the Jewish, you know, some of the, some a person, a Jewish person, right? And we go, "Oh, wow, look at him. He's a he's a leader. He's powerful. He's he's committed to his his ideals." But here with Abraham, no, we don't we don't see that. And it's interesting that you say that, and I just want to interject because a lot of people don't will understand if we're talking about Torah as Bible, mm-hmm. as scripture, but don't understand the that we have commentators. You mentioned Rashi as one of our most famous mm-hmm. um uh commentators, and 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 the Jewish tradition, traditional Jewish tradition, is that rabbinic commentary has equal stature with biblical scripture or equal status comes very close yes it comes very close yep Mm -hmm. right and and it's but it's through that that we really begin to understand because i engage a lot of christians and i'm sure that some people are listening right now kind of scratching their heads saying well it doesn't doesn't say that it doesn't say that in genesis and and that's how and it's one of the things that i really enjoy reading the commentary along with the actual scripture because it gives a way of understanding uh, what's going on that's not 100%. in the scripture. 
Um, but it's interesting, like, I, I don't know if this is where you were going. I found it when I was reading over it in preparation for this as well, that it, I'd never really thought about, you know, in my own personal journey, like, did I leave my father's house? Did I leave my home? Like, what did I do when I came to Israel to live in Israel? So that's exactly where I wanted to go with you, because this is also the the Torah portion in which many immigrants like us celebrate that. I think that there's a, a, a day of Aliyah that's somehow celebrated around the Torah portion that we're reading. And I wanted, I wanted to talk about that, which is why I wanted to follow it uh, chronologically to get into your head. What, what was in your head? What brought you to Israel? And what were you thinking? And then now rereading it, did you leave, what, did you leave behind stuff you regretted? Did you, mm-hmm. was it a calling from God? What was it? What, you know, tell us about that before we go into all of the details. So when I, when I uh, was coming back to study in Israel, where I ended up, as, as you pointed out, uh, finishing my rabbinic education, I was at that time in my life, open to the idea of staying. That's how I left America. I wasn't leaving America in the way that lots of people do, which is I am going to Israel right now to live. Some people, I mean, as you know, some people come and try it for a year, you know, and they say, hey, let's see what happens. And then maybe I'll stay, right? I I, I was sort of in that place, I think, because um, at the time I was studying rabbinics and I was very motivated uh, by the, the person who founded the school. His name is Rabbi Avi Weiss. Um, and his big thing was being a, a rabbi for some period of time in, uh, as a, in a pulpit and, and in a synagogue. And I didn't ever see myself doing that here in Israel. I still don't do that in Israel. Um, but I, I was motivated by that and thought, you know what, I'm going to probably come back and probably do that. I'll finish my studies in New York and I'll go back and I'll finish there and I'll do some time. And maybe then I'll make, you know, make Aliyah and come in and live in Israel. Um, but I, I wasn't close to the idea of, of coming and staying. And I, and I knew because I had studied here for a year uh, previous, uh, I think it was about five years prior. Um, I just knew how comfortable I was here. I knew that as an observant Jew who keeps, tries to keep, you know, as many of the mitzvot as possible, mitzvot right, is commandments. Commandments, right. As many of the commandments right. as possible. I felt like, I felt like, you know, this is a place where your Judaism is automatic. And some people, my wife in particular, finds that to be a a detraction. She feels like she's more motivated in other places when she's outside of Israel to sort of, you know, show that she's Jewish or, you know, do things to concretize her Judaism, you know, and whereas here in Israel, it's so automatic. Everything you do, like the, the, the country is functioning on the Jewish calendar. The holidays are automatically the times that you have off. Whereas in America and other places, you don't have that. You have you have to sort of fight to have your Judaism, uh, part you know part your Judaism sort of part of your life. Whereas when I was um, when I was living in 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 Israel, I felt the opposite. I felt like wow, you know, I don't have to fight, and my and my identity isn't tied to my synagogue. Whereas in America, I felt like my identity was my synagogue because that's where my Judaism kind of lived. And when I went out into the outside world and did the other things that I did, I was sort of like, you know, it was part of me and people could see my kippah, the, 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 the head covering that I wear, and they could see these things, but, but I wasn't sort of living out my Jewish life at that time. My Jewish life was in the synagogue, and then it was at home, and it was, you know, at, at different points in my life, but it wasn't the same. And I, and I loved being here and just that everything was, you know, 
I was just, just even walking the land. I was, I was doing it. That's it. I was doing the Jewish thing. I was doing one of the things that in a sense I was commanded to do. I was commanded to be in this land. Uh, excellent. Right. Cause we do take that as a biblical commandment that not just God telling Abraham to go do something, but as as God's making this commitment, he's making big promises, but he also is setting big expectations and we derive, I don't know which commandment it is, what number it is. We've just started reading the Torah again. But when God says, go yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a d- deliberate redundancy in the words there in, in the Hebrew, lech lecha, mm-hmm. go yourself, that, that we take that on as a biblical commandment for us still today. Did you, I mean, you, you were thinking that? You were thinking yeah. that I, I, I want to do the commandment or you're thinking this is just going to be a good place to be? No, I think I thought of it probably more than just a good place to be because like you said already, I'm a surfer. There's lots of great places for me to be in the world, you know, and a lot of them have a lot better surf than, than Israel does. Thank yeah. God there's some. Otherwise, I'm not sure I ever would have been able to make Aliyah. Right? That would have been very hard, a hard decision. But I felt like, yeah, it was more than just, um, hey, let's let's go out and test a nice place to live. You know, I, I was when I was went to the University of Rhode Island and I loved living in Providence. And then it was in New York. I was like, well, I think I liked Providence better. It wasn't like that. It was definitely that Israel, I sort of at that time and still at this time, see it as the future of the Jewish people, that this is the place that Judaism is going to be mainly carried out in the future. And so I, I felt like I wanted to be part of that. I felt like this was the place to be, even though, like you said, all those things were there, the ease of living and the ease of practicing my Judaism was there. It was still, I felt like, no, this is where I should be. So when God made the the expectation, when God told Abraham, to go and 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 Abraham arguably didn't really know who God was or he was okay he was the 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 first to accept this but but Abraham had no idea where he was going and wasn't asking himself how's the surf or how's the food or is it a good place to raise kids or even did he he wasn't even thinking things like well, I have FaceTime so I can call my friends and family back ah, in my old excellent. place, right? It's a very different process, I think, to come make Aliyah and live in Israel now. That's a very different thing because, you know, I even not that long ago, I can hear, I hear stories about people who, who immigrated to Israel and there was one telephone in the whole building that they lived in and they had to all take turns to use it and when they could use it and how much did it cost to use it. And now I open up my phone any two seconds and I say hello to my mother and my sisters who, who are all there. Like that's for me, I identify with this leaving your father's house and leaving your, right? Because just like I said, even though Abraham had already left with his father, that's what it says in the last week's portion, right? That he left already. In a sense, I had left my father's house many, many years before right. I, you know, I went to college. I lived in New York. I grew up in Philly. But the truth is, you know, there was some something about leaving the place where my parents were that I was not going to be as close to them anymore. I wasn't going to be able to readily see them. But it's not like it was when in the establishment of the state where, you know, I really was leaving every, I was going on a boat and I had all my belongings in one suitcase and, you know, and I was going to set up a whole new life here. And that was that. Um, the, you know, like I said, people try it for a year. People come and say, "Hey, I'm going to try this out for you." It's like that's that was an anomaly that that wouldn't yeah, exist. Yeah, anyways. it's inter- it's interesting that you say that because I think of my father who was born here in 1937, and his parents who came here in the earlier th- in the 30s, leaving their parents' homes mm-hmm. literally. Now, 
some of that was motivated by living being a Jew living in Poland, uh, foreshadowing, not foreshadowing, I don't know what, what people knew or had intuition. It wasn't the, the greatest place to be, but they were still leaving all their families. And I and my father, we actually just observed the seventieth, eightieth, and 80th anniversary wow. of the, the murder of my my grandmother's family in Poland uh this past a month and a half ago and we know the date we know that what happened we know how everyone was murdered and my father when it when 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 his grandparents and uncles and aunts and cousins were all killed was a young was a young boy was seven or five six years old now i i don't even know if they ever could have made a phone call to one another i don't know if they ever heard their voices together Right. Uh, maybe there was correspondence. Guess what? We had a baby, and he was born in Israel, and his name is Nathan. Wow. But but who knew what? The, and today, and it's still cathartic. And 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 by the way, it's a calculation when you're coming here. Even if you're not thinking about leaving, you're you're thinking about leaving because if your parents are alive, you're leaving them behind. And mm-hmm. elderly parents, we have to be worried about and siblings and cousins and maybe if we're lucky enough to still have grandparents um these are all these are all calculations definitely and and, um i don't maybe maybe abraham i don't know just sort of thinking about this right now but maybe there was a a real comfort in in what in hearing a command from god or you know this instruction to go and and god saying i'm going to make this great nation of you whereas when when we make or i don't know how you felt but i'm going to talk about myself when i made Aliyah, when I immigrated to Israel, right, I, I think to myself, like, are my children going to stay here? Are my kids going to want to be part of Israel? Or are they going to think, ah, oh, I want to go. I like America. That seems like the place for me or some other place. And I think like, well, am I going to make a great nation for myself here? Or am I, is it just going to be me with my own philosophical, you know, uh, hopes and dreams that, that, that I, that's what I'm left with. And, you know, who's going to, what's going to be, whereas, you know, I see lots of families here that have many generations who have lived in this country. And I'm, and I, th- I think that's really, that's amazing. That That's what I want one day. Well, I, I'm going to answer you and then I'm going to take a break. But when I, my, this, I don't know if I can say my decision, but my motivation to make Aliyah came when I was an adolescent in Israel for the first time with my, it was, I call it my father's roots trip. It was only the second time that he had been back and and by the way, he was 17 when he left, when he went mm-hmm. to America. So a, a very young man, he didn't even know English. And, and he didn't know that he was going to spend the rest of his life in America. And he came back. We did a two-week family trip throughout Israel. And I felt so at home. And I realized as a kid myself that this was a better place to raise children, which is strange. I don't know how I had that perception and that this is where I wanted to raise my children so I wasn't thinking of it from a perspective of being an inheritor of the first of all the obligation or or the um, covenant with that God was making with Abraham but I saw myself as being part of the Jewish future by by raising as a child myself by raising my own children here in Israel. Wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna want you to respond to that, but I want to take a break for uh for 30 seconds. When you think of Jerusalem, you probably think of its historic and biblical sites, 
Run for Zion is a trip unlike any other. You will join tens of thousands of Israelis interacting with Jerusalem as you never have and never imagined you would. You'll connect with and bless Israelis of all backgrounds. If you've never been to Israel and are dying to come visit or haven't been for a while and can't wait to get back, Run for Zion is the opportunity for you. And now, if you register today, you can join us for as little as $29. Yes, that's for real, just $29. Run for Zion is a pilgrimage and service experience that gets you out of the tour bus, interacting with the people and the land. Check out runforzion.com for details and come run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. So yeah, it's it, it's great. I didn't know the conversation was going to go this way. Um, I, I wanted to get your personal thoughts on the whole idea of Aliyah. Did, what, what else, you know, God tells Abraham, and I, and I just think of it, I, I think Abraham had to have so much more faith than you or I could even think of because everything was unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Yeah? In a, way, in a way, I agree with you that, that there was this, you know, not to mention from the little that I've learned about um, you know, biblical times and what happened to somebody who embarked into the desert, right? That, that, that whole thing was just 50, 50 wasn't even, you know, that's not even close. It was probably more like 20, 80. You know, you were probably going to die before you made it to your, to your destination. I mean, leaving a city, leaving a, a fortified area to go into the desert was a major major under undertaking. Um, and I, I heard about this, by the way, in, in regards to, uh, one of the later books, Numbers, when it's talking about all the the many Jews that were they weren't Jews at the time, so the Israelites in in the desert, and the person said, you know, oh, this this seems like a very uh, a kind of a boring uh, portion of the Torah because it's just listing off the family names and this. And he said, but do do you see how many people are sustained by God in the desert? If you were to go into the desert as one person, you might not make it to your destination. He said, and look at how many Israelites, you know, our, our descendants, our, our forefathers and foremothers survived in the desert because of what God did. So yeah, there's a hundred percent. I think Abraham right now is taking a huge leap of faith. Um, but I mean, the way that we live our lives now, and, and maybe other people have had other experiences, um, I don't get any emails in my inbox from God, right? I don't get something that says a direct message the way that Abraham got a, and Abraham got this direct message from God telling him exactly where to go, what to do, and that he knew that in doing this, he would be successful. So on the one side, I agree with you. It was a huge, from a sort of mortal standpoint, right? And, and what we know about our abilities and, and what we can do, it's a, it's a huge undertaking and a huge leap of faith. While at the same time, um, we're not blessed, I guess, and maybe you had a, a closer connection than I did uh, to get a direct message from God and say, you know, this, if you do this, you'll be successful. Go here. This is what I want from you with your life. And so there's something I think that he probably had some sort of comfort he had in knowing that that's what he was meant to do. Well, God certainly gave me the vision when I was a teenager that Israel is a, I, I, I don't know what I, because I can't understand how or why as a teenager who had not even dated anybody at that point. Mm. Forget being married. Forget uh, th- that I that I was given a vision that Israel is a better place to live and raise children as a as a child myself as an adolescent. Hundred percent. That's an listen. That's an amazing story. Um, but not all of us get the amazing stories. Not all of us, right? I I had a an inkling. I had some sort of if it was a calling. It was a very quiet, you know, small, uh-huh. still voice, as we say, saying like. Yeah. 
this is where you should go. And, and I sort of, you know, but as humans, as, as being a, a, a flawed individual, you know, I doubted, right? We all doubt that, is that, is that really where I'm supposed to go? Is that really what I'm supposed to do? And so I'm a little bit jealous of, of you and of Abraham, that there wasn't some sort of like light that went off for me, you know? And, and when I got here, I think I, I felt what you felt. I felt more comfortable. I felt comfortable. I was, I don't know if I was saying even when I was almost 30, this is a better place to raise my children. I know it now, but uh, you know, it, right. it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a light went off for me. So, so in a way I have a little bit of jealousy there. Well, one of the things your kids were all born here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mine weren't, we imported five of them. And it's interesting because when five of the six, when I came here almost 19 years ago to look for work mm-hmm. on the premise that we were going to move. I said to my wife, the only way I'll move is if I could find work that week. Right. I came here for what we call a pilot trip mm-hmm. to look for work. And honestly, full disclosure, I don't know if I've ever gone public with this. I believe that I was challenging God directly to say, yeah, right. I'm not going to find a job that week. That's just mm-hmm. not happening. And I was setting myself up to go home, home then in New Jersey and say, I looked couldn't find a job, we're staying. And what happened is I had, I think, three job interviews that week, where none of them panned out, but I got, I can only, I can only attribute it to a divine wink, gave me the confidence to go home after that week, the home being New Jersey then, and say, I feel confident that we can make it because I was not going to import five kids and not know what I was going to do for a living. I mean, uh, listen, there are many people who are, who, who probably feel that way. And uh, I think a couple of them just moved into the building, you know, my building downstairs, (laughs) They, they showed up a couple of weeks ago. And I think maybe the mother of the family has worked, but the the father, you know, the father figure of the family, he's still, you know, it's still up in the air and people do this. And I find that, I mean, what was it for me? Like, you're right. What was it for me to come as a single guy on my way to Israel and say, maybe I'll come, maybe I won't. That's not a huge deal. But to bring five children, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I, I, I'm glad you got the wink. I'm glad I got that wink too. And, uh, and, and I'm glad that now, um, almost 19 years later, my kids thank us. Uh, amazing. They do that, that, that they, and you're, and you're as well too, <clears throat> even though they were born here, um, you know, which is amazing. So we, we are inheritors, we see it. And when we read this, this, ver- these verses, we see, we can see ourselves as the inheritors of what God, not just promised, but commanded Abraham. And we're part of that great nation. And, and we're in the place that we're meant um, that we're meant to be, but he, I want to I want to use that as a segue, because there's also another. There are a lot of things, and I guess here again, I I, I got to give Abraham all the credit to have mm-hmm. the faith and to follow. God says he he was not a young Abraham was not a young man when nope. he wasn't thirty, right? Mm-mm. He was double. He was more two uh, one, uh, one and a half times that, right? Seventy five years old, right? Somewhere, yeah, I think I think that's right. Something. Mm-hmm. He was up there. He was up in that range for sure, because we know at the end in the circumcision piece, he's 99. So Correct. And that's where I want to go with this. I want to start to get to that. But what's interesting is God is telling Abraham, go, I'm going to make a great nation. 
and as it re- and it relates to circumcision i just had a thought that didn't occur to me before we were going to speak two things first of all god saying go and i'll make a great nation god must have known that he and sarah were having fertility issues mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and sure. so abraham's like oh yeah really how can how are you going to do that sarah and i can't even conceive well, I, I mean, I hadn't thought of this before when, when you were uh, just now, just now, as you were saying that I was thinking this whole faith issue, um, you ha- you also have him saying, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And he says, right, uh, Abraham says, well, okay, so what about Yishmael? What about, uh, he'll be the guy, right? And and God says, no, 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 it's going to be through Sarah. He says, well, Sarah can't have any children. And he says, not only says Sarah's going to do it, don't worry about how old she is. He says, I want you to injure your member that you're going right. to make children with and that's all the more so he's saying you know like i want you to have faith in me that you can do this you know so that's the thing is that i is that it wasn't until he he and not 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 passively was circumcised but until he circumcised himself it wasn't until that point that he and sarah were able to conceive isaac correct correct and what's also interesting is i mean this is also connected i think is that both Sarah and Abraham have their name changes around this time. Ah, exactly. Right. Right? And that, and that is a way of sort of saying, you know, and what's interesting about the name changes is for those who are interested in these sorts of things, the letters that they both change and get to, um, they, they are letters of God's name, which is very interesting, right? That they, that they have these letter changes that you get a hey instead of a yud, right? And there's all these things that are, that are God's letter changes that are involved in there. But, but that, that is a way of saying, okay, now, only now are you your full person, right? Now you have become who you're meant to be when you have this, uh, when you finally get your name. That's what it means in the Bible. Right. So it's and a he, very interesting moment. And, and of course, we know in reading the English, we, we, Abraham was Abram, Av, Avram and Sarah was Sarai, and mm-hmm. their names were changed. That works only in the Hebrew, which is why it's important when people are looking at that and, the, and whatever translation that they're looking at to understand that the significance of the name change is not that they changed their name. Anyone can go to a court and change their name, but, but, uh, but the significance is, of course, the, the, as you said, the Hebrew letters that went, that were added and changed in their name to bring God into, to make God a component. Now, by the way, if Abraham and Sarah only conceived after Abraham was circumcised, that's not the case with Ishmael, right? He was, he was conceived with Hagar. True. Now, again, so that's, so that's one of the things I always love to point out is that there's only uh, one couple in the, in the whole of Genesis who we don't know who the fertility issues were with, correct? That's, and that's Isaac and Rebecca, because they're the only ones who don't have any other people involved in the story that we hear about, you know, that, whereas in the story of Abraham, in the story of uh, Jacob, we have lots of other people involved in the story. So we know Who's right? And so when you're sitting there here with with Abraham before he's with Hagar, we don't know who the issues are are with. It could have been with Abraham. It could have been with Sarah. But then Sarah says, "Take my handmaiden, take Hagar, and 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 have a child with her." And he does. So what I was pointing out, which was interesting as well, though, is is that well he knew that everything was working, and then God said, "I want you to do this uh, to your to your private member, right? To your to your thing that creates life." And, and, and so in a way, he has to sort of take another leap of faith. He's saying, well, 
I mean, if, if I was the first person to ever do that, I would probably sit there and go, is everything going to work okay at the end? Right. Like, is it going to work still? You know, like no one's ever done that before. That Again, there's, I'm sure, historical criticism, which can tell you things were done in the surrounding areas. But this was the first command that we know of. So it's a, it's a huge leap of faith on that side as well. Uh, a huge leap of faith. And he had no medical training and... He didn't even have the uh, the tools that nope. you have that you exactly. have to buy and are are made for for circumcision. And-, hey, and there are many people who I know who who have been very accomplished, as we call them, mohalim. Right? They had worked their lives as a moil their entire life, and they get to the age of ninety nine, and everyone says, "That's okay. You can stop now." You don't need to do this anymore. Your hands aren't quite as steady as they used to right. be. Right. And so he's 99 when he's doing his first, having never done it with a flint. Right. Like you said, not the right, not the same tools. Right. And there's lots of other tools that if, if we can talk about if you want to. But he basically did this, you know, freehand as we yeah, say. Yeah, um, I think crazy. a couple of people are cringing right now. <laughs> That's fine. That's uh, fine. We don't have to go too deep into Just that. listening. Now, I, I, I want to, th- this conversation, other than the fact that we had a listener ask about it, mm-hmm. and and Christians look at, I mean, it's it's biblical, and it's, it's still a commandment that we observe, and I'm going to talk about it in modern times with you, but where this came to conversation between you and I was... Almost six months ago, when you had the honor, honor, okay, honor. I was going to say, I would definitely call it an honor, honor distinct honor of of being the mohel of of circumcising my third grandson, correct, um, which makes me teary eyed just thinking about. And I said, I said, think at the time, hey, we should do a conversation about this, and and it's I'm kind of embarrassed that it's taken half a year, <laughs> but it's important. It's appropriate now. It's appropriate right. now relating to this this season and this Torah portion that we're reading. And also, I think to talk about, you know, we, I don't think we can just talk about it as a biblical obligation that some guy named Abraham did if we're not talking about the, the sociology of what was going on at the time. And I never thought about it from the perspective of he was not circumcised when he conceived his first son, but he was circumcised when he conceived the most significant son through through whom God promised to make the, the the nation. And God didn't dismiss Ishmael altogether. No, definitely not. But he's written out shortly after this conversation. We don't we don't hear much about him uh and, and his descendants after after a couple more chapters. So and the thing that was so interesting is that I remember when my grandson was born, I remember giving your phone number to my son-in-law. And I was very happy. It's their their job to check his job, not their job, his job as the father to decide who's going to be the person who 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 does the circumcision. Because because it's actually his job, right? That's what we need to point out, right? The the commandment of doing this falls on the father. I as a as a mohel, I get to sort of be the proxy for the right. father. Right. And what I do actually right before the, the, the procedure is done is I turn to the father and I say, okay, you need to repeat after me and say that you're making me your proxy to do this for you. Correct. Right? So it is on him. You're right. Absolutely. So, and, and I was thrilled. And then I'm thinking that, that then I got into the whole real realization that, you know, Abraham was told to do it and told when to do it, but he wasn't given even eight days notice and then told to make a party with bagels and lox and cream cheese Correct. afterward. He just and that might have been a good thing, by the way. 
<laughs> and I'd have to, to think about it for eight days as a 99 year old man. I don't Ouch. know if that would be a good thing. Right. right. So wow. maybe it was like, this is it go right now. And, and again, that points to, as we were talking about the sort of nature of who Abraham was as a person, when God said, leave your land, we don't hear anything like he packed, right? We don't hear anything. <laughs> he just, he just did it. Just and so here it. you have it again. He says, you need to circumcise yourself. And he just does it. It's amazing. That's amazing. Great stuff. I want to take another break because we're getting into where I wanted to go, which we probably should have been at the outset of the conversation, but I think we've built up to now. Okay. What does circumcision mean today? Mm-hmm. Now, not 2000 years later, but, but 50, well, 3,700 years after Abraham. Right. And, and we're still doing this. This is tremendous. And, and, and I don't know, Maybe think about it. I don't know what other things that we can could say that we're still doing 3,700 years later. Um, that's pretty cool. All right, take, let's take a break and come right back. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill. They are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. Rabbi Leiter, is there something? I mean, okay. Well, look, we course- can probably point to we can probably point to things um, in in this book that we're still doing. Like we have to taber uh, when we when you, we we, we uh, slaughter an animal and eat it, right? In this in this book in Genesis, we're told that you have to take out a certain. It's called the gid hanashe, which is a a vein within the body of the animal, right? And that we still do that. So there's not many, but yeah, that one is still done. That's one of the things, but there's right. You're absolutely right. There's not many things that we, as if, and then there's actually a book talking about commentators. One of the commentators goes through and tells you um, exactly. I mean, there's a couple that do it, but there's a, there's a book itself that you can read and it tells you, okay, each mitzvah, each commandment that you're getting along the way, as you read through the Torah and pretty much Genesis is pretty empty. There's not so many things that show up in that book. So this is definitely one of the oldest for sure. But the, the difference of course, with circumcision is it's something that every, that every father is obliged to do for his son um and that's on a personal level yeah we can take out a vein from an animal that we slaughter but you and i don't do that right we we buy the meat prepared uh, and so that's a it's something that we wouldn't not we wouldn't buy meat that's kosher that that that's not been done but that's more of a commercial thing rather than a personal thing 
Correct. Correct. So uh, yeah, on a personal level, I don't think there are so many things. Nothing is coming to mind. Well, maybe it will. And I, and I, I, by the way, this is such an interesting conversation. I meant to mention it before, obviously with questions, but I always love to hear from listeners about what their thoughts are on this. And this is a, this is a unique conversation. So I'm looking forward to, to people being in touch and, and giving their thoughts and questions. So let's jump in. We've spoken about it biblically. Abraham, by the way, Abraham, when he circumcised himself, everyone in his household, all of the men, um, and that only included his son, I, uh, Ishmael at the time. It was before. And all of his slaves. And all of the servants, correct. 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 And and some of them, you know, some of them he may have already, you know, converted to our ways in some respects, but but it, but the commandment that we're getting here isn't, is irrespective. It's anyone who's in your house. That has right. to be, that pe- those people have to be circumcised. Right. So presumably the next one who came along was Isaac, Right. Mm-hmm. Sarah, Sarah, who's infertile, and and uh, Abraham at ninety nine years old, they're able to conceive. They laugh, right? Right. That's how Isaac gets his name. Hebrew in yep. Hebrew, it's Chak. Mm-hmm. Um, they, she thinks it's funny. You know, you're, you're you're joking with me, mm-hmm. and uh, and and then at eight days old, um, I, Isaac is is circumcised. How did you get into this? Well, you you you're a surfer. Um, and That's a right. rabbi and a very eclectic person. What? Where did the whole thing about being a mohel and 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 not just that, but establishing an organization that's that's preserving this as a as a ritual with the all of the integrity and 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 biblical tradition? So it start, It began actually when I was on my way to studying rabbinics. As I was gonna study to be a rabbi, I was living in Providence. And I don't remember if I was actually close up at, at the bris that I went to, right? The bris is the ceremony of the circumcision. Um, and I was, but the cantor of the synagogue where I was turned to me and said, you know, it's a, it's a really good so- source of side income. If you're, uh, if, you know, if you're a rabbi, you have this downtime during the day, you can also be a mall and you can make some money. And so I always like to tell people, that's why I do it. I did it just for money. No, that's not the case. <laughs> but I, but, but that, that started the whole process of the wheels turning. And so. Did you think I, of it as something that was cool and interesting? Or did you think of it as something, hey, this is, this is a biblical thing that I can be part of or a hybrid of all of that? At, very, at the very first thought of the process, it was, am I going to be able to even watch this? That was my first thought was, if I even want to take this on as an idea. I have to think about whether or not, you know, I'm going to be able to do it. So, so I basically went up to the, every bris I went to, I went up to the front and watched. And, and the truth was right off the bat, I said, nope, this isn't, you know, it's not affecting me in such a negative way. So that's good. That was a good start. And then um, I started learning and thinking about it more. And I, and I, and, and like you were talking about, like that, this thing that we do, this ritual that's over, you know, it's about 4,000 years old that we still do. Um, and, and it's, what's amazing about it is, is that when you go to a bris, if anyone hasn't been to, if I can encourage you, if you know anyone who's having one and you can either get yourself invited or what, it's an amazing experience. Like there are people who, who are anti the whole circumcision, you know, practice and they're very against it. And I, Oh, I always like to ask them, have you ever been to one? 
Because if you've been to a, like they, they, so they use these words, they say, oh, it's barbaric. And I was like, you've never, obviously, you've obviously never been to one because it's not like that. I said, there's so many things going on in, the, in that, in that uh, uh, ceremony that first of all, um, everything I do from right off the bat is I try to make sure that the baby has, you know, as, as to the level of my ability as, as little pain as possible. But on top of it, he's being held by his grandfather. Usually that's the person who holds me sits in this uh, sort of raised up chair and, and the baby's being held and caressed by someone who loves him. We actually say that that person who's holding the baby, that person needs to, you want, you want to think about what are their characteristics because those characteristics you're trying to, in, to give those to that child at that moment. And so seeing these, this amazing uh, uh, ceremony, just sort of, and learning more about it, it, it really motivated me to, to be involved with it because it was beautiful. And then on the flip side, I knew I was coming to live in Israel and I, there's a rabbi a dime a dozen. I mean, there really is. I was studying in a, in a school in Jerusalem many, many years ago. And somebody turned to me and said, every Thursday we got pizza. And so the pizza was being delivered. And, you know, he says, you know, that pizza delivery guy. And I said, yeah, he's, he, he's ordained as a rabbi. And I was like, are you kidding? Like, that's how it is in this country. There are a dime a dozen. So I figured, okay, I need to have something else. I've always thought about this. Um, so I called my dentist because he's a moil. And I said, you know, I asked him and he said, oh, call, you know, we ended up doing a, a combination between my dentist and a pediatrician in a frat. And the two of them, I learned with them for about two and a half years. Um, and there are some people who are able to study with somebody who does um, who does circumcisions more frequently. And that, in that case, you could learn in, in a month, maybe two months, you know, wow. couple, you can learn in like four weeks, but I felt really blessed that, that they actually did it in less, you know, in much, in much less uh, frequent a way. So I learned for two and a half years and I got to sort of work with them and learn and see lots of different uh, circumcisions and, and, and ask lots of different questions. Um, and so when the time came that I was, you know, finally set out on my own, so to speak, um, I felt like I was much more prepared in that way. Were you nervous the first time? Definitely. Um, I Listen, I'll say this. I always tell people that I am nervous at every bris. I, every single circumcision I do, there's a level of nerves. Like it, I don't know if it will become, maybe after thousands and thousands, you know, there are people out there who, who think about it like cutting their toenails. I don't know, but I'm not that guy. I, I come up every time I come up to the, to the, to the, what we call the Bima, right? Onto the, to the place in the, the raised up platform. part of the synagogue. Yeah. The platform in the synagogue. I sit there and I think to myself, like, it's a huge amount of responsibility. It's a huge amount of um, just, just the whole, you, you feel not only that what the parents are expecting and hoping for their child, but you feel the weight of our history. You feel yeah. everything at that moment. And so the first one I did, I mean, I was lucky the first, I would say 10, I had my teachers with me and I would do, you know, like different parts and whatever. And they were helping me like, you know, but this, this first one where the person said, okay, you're going to be the guy you're going to do it. My teacher was there with me. Um, and I came up and I remember I sort of mumbled it under my breath, but I, turned to the baby who was sitting there ready to go. And I said, okay, it's, it's uh, just me and you now, kid. Here we go. <laughs> and what was amazing about it was, you know, at the end, after you do um, the, the, the actual procedure, the baby is then held by someone else. Um, and somebody comes up and says a blessing and gives the name of the baby. Right. And right. it's a big moment in the, in the ceremony because um, usually, uh, especially with people who are from Eastern Europe, we give it to, to we give the, a name for someone who has passed away. And Correct. so people are usually expecting and wondering, and there's a lot of emotion and some people start to cry. And there's always sort of, oh, when the name gets called out. 
And then this baby, my first one, his name was, is Nachshon. And for those who know their Torah, who know their, their, who have read the Bible pretty consistently, Nachshon is considered the first person to have walked into the sea when God said, cross the sea when we were leaving Egypt. And he went so far in, he had so much faith that he walked all the way up to where the water was going into his mouth and he started to choke. That's, and then the sea split. Right. That's how much faith he had. And so I said, this was, you know, the perfect name for the, per, for the first bris that I ever did, for sure. And somebody who's a surfer. I mean, there you go. Exactly. I didn't even think about that side of it. Of course. Of course. There you go. Wow. Did you do, uh, did you do the circumcision for your own sons? I did. I, I, my, my thought process was this, who would ever give me their son? If I just said, I'm not doing mine, but I'll do yours. That was first. (laughs) That was my first thought. But the truth of the matter was when it comes to the obligations of the father, if you do know how to do it, it's pretty consistently across the board that according to Jewish law, you should do it. Um, so it, it was, and I was also very motivated at the time to do it. And both experiences were actually very different. The first, my first son was very early on in my career. I think if I, if I opened up my book right now, which I have in this desk right, right here next to me, um, I have all the names of all the babies I've done. Uh, wow. that's, yes, that's because one of my teachers turned to me before, right before I started doing it. And he said, this is how we were able to reconstruct the census of Eastern Europe after the Holocaust was because of the books that the, and the records that the, the Mohalim kept. Right. So, oh. so I started writing down the names and if you went into that book, you would see he was, he's in the top 10, maybe even in the top five, my, my first son. So it was very sort of, the whole thing was very new to me. Um, and I, ex- and I expected to be completely overwhelmed with emotion. And, and, and I was, the, it was actually the opposite because at that stage of the game, there were so many nerves of like parents looking over your shoulder and people tapping their feet, wanting to go get their bagel and locks. And they don't, you know, they just want it to be over with and go eat their meal afterwards, which is what we do afterwards. We go and have a festive meal. Um, I, I was, you know, just amazed to just be up there and go, you know, nobody's looking over my shoulder. And of course I, I asked my teacher to give him his name because that felt oh, the beautiful. fitting person, right? That's the person you give. That's one of the biggest honors is to give yeah. him name. And he was standing up there. I said, the only thing I'm going to ask you to do is that you say nothing during the bris. I want to just have this be my thing. No one's wow. saying, looking at it. He failed miserably and immediately started saying, no, put the bandage on this way and do that. This, <laughs> I said, wow. you, you didn't listen, but it was amazing. It was amazing to have him up there. <clears throat> when I did my second son, it was weird, much and totally different in that I had gotten into such a rhythm of being able to do it and knowing what parts I do and what moment I have that I can sort of set this up or get this ready or get myself even mentally ready that what happened was now that I was the father, I was doing everything from beginning to end and there was no downtime. And so it was a very different sort of experience of being like, oh, wow, there is something really different to this. And and I did get a a more of a flood of emotions with that one. It was interesting. But you're not at a stage where you can literally or figuratively do it with your eyes closed, so to speak. Um, yes. No, I don't. I still, uh, I, I feel like what's amazing is, and I've told people this, is that if you're not, I think it, it applies for lots of things in life, no matter what your job might be. But if you're not learning and constantly trying to better yourself, nice. you're not really doing, you're, you're not doing anything. And so I constantly am analyzing and, and trying to figure out how to just make it the best possible person uh, can be. Amazing. I, um, I remember with my first son, I felt like I, cause he was being named for my father who had died. I don't know. How, uh, well, I can figure it out. 
My father died 26 years ago. My son's turning 24. Yeah, so two years before, he was the first baby after my father died. And um, that was tremendously emotional. Um, and I felt like, wow, I, I would really love to do it. But I, I obviously had no training. When I saw, you know, sitting there up close, it doesn't seem like it's that complicated. But I, but there's no way I would do so that. Let, so let me tell you um, how. So there is an option for a sort of middle ground where there are fathers who often ask me if they can do the cut. And wh- what does that mean? Not yeah, so to go into wanted, too many details. You're leading into something that maybe ah. requires a little bit of prefacing. Sure. I wanted to ask you about the impl- the tools that you use. Absolutely. Which, 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 Absolutely. which, cause I understand where you're going. Right. So basically what there is, is the, there are a couple different tools that I use. Um, the mainly I have like five or six tools, we'll say um, some of them are sort of these preliminary things that sort of help to get everything prepared. But the most important one is what's called a magain, right? And you might've heard that, that word in like magain David Adom, which is a, right. And it means shield. Magain is the, so the shield, what I do with it is I take whatever skin that's going to be cut and I pull it forward and I sort of slide this shield on. Okay. So it does two things. One, everything below the shield is protected. It's not going to be cut. And everything above it is what I do want to cut. That's the first thing it does. The second thing it does is it makes so that the cut is straight because you're following right along this metal shield. Okay. Like a level. Exactly. Exactly. And so fathers who want to do it, I, I, I really have to only give them like a very small little pointer of like how to just sort of angle the blade a little bit. So it stays along the level. It stays along the shield, right? If you don't, if you don't keep it sort of angled in a little bit, it can come up and off and you can just leave a little bit more than you want to leave on. That's the only thing that can happen once the shield is on. So what was interesting when I was learning was that was sort of the way my teacher sort of got me to do a lot of different things and had had a sort of wiggle room and say to the parents, listen, he's going to do some of the preparatory stuff. And that's what I would do. I would put this on, I would put that on, I would try this or do that, but he would do the cut. That was sort of how he left it. What's interesting is that, that as I just sort of explained, that is the most important part. Placing the shield is the whole thing. Once it's placed, mm. right? If as long as you follow along it the way I just said that you're supposed to, there's really very little that can, nothing can really go wrong if it's put in the right spot. So that was great about having my teachers there. They could see if I put it in the right spot. Ah, I see. Sure. So now when fathers come to me and they say they want to do it, I usually tell them, great, this is what you need to know. And this is what you need to do. Um, and then I'm actually not the proxy. I'm not considered the person doing it. Correct. They are considered the person doing it. Correct. Awesome. If you're a parent like me, you know there are plenty of reasons to worry about our kids. But there's one particular issue with enormous consequences for our kids that many are uncomfortable discussing, online pornography. As kids spend more and more time online, they're being exposed to explicit sexual content at record rates. By age 13, many are exposed to graphic sexual content that has serious lasting consequences. Even though research links pornography exposure to worse mental health, unstable relationships, and other issues, the big tech companies are doing almost nothing to stop it. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Canopy, a new partner of ours that's helping parents take back control over what their kids see online. Canopy uses state-of-the-art artificial intelligence developed here in Israel to make the internet safe for our kids by blocking explicit material on every single website. You can learn more and subscribe with special rates at canopy.us. 
And when you use our special discount code, Genesis123 at checkout, you'll get 30 days free and 15% off your subscription forever. Your kids will thank you for life. Okay, so so it's all, it's all very cool. And I like that you said that people should find their way to go and see it. And even though, even though it's all in Hebrew, um, it, understanding the significance, the tradition, and, and that we're going back nearly with a tradition that has, that, that has been for all Jewish, well, most Jewish babies for nearly 4,000 years. By the way, I don't know if I ever told you this. I have a, a good friend who was born in the Soviet Union. He's exactly a year younger than I. Mm. He was not circumcised as a, as a baby because as a 56 years ago, it's hard to imagine that we're both that old. 56 years ago, it was impossible for to find a Moel in the Soviet Union because the Soviets didn't allow Jewish tradition. But before his bar mitzvah, he insisted that he be circumcised. Wow. Now, I don't remember who did that. I can ask him. He lives here. We're good friends still. Um, but I, again, you know, it was a, as a 13-year-old. I'm thinking, goodness gracious. Yes, it's a very yeah. different. It's a very different experience. Um, I think that most uh, say that the the best time to do it is as a as a neonate, right within the first couple of weeks. So why is that? Um, well, the healing process is very different, and the healing process when you're doing it as a neonate, I literally do the cut and I put on a bandage, and within 24 to 36 hours, I take off the bandage. And that's the whole thing. It heals within seven to 10 days with no stitches, nothing at all. It's that's how, that's how easy it is to do it as a neonate. Once you start getting into the um, past that point, when you're, I think it's, I'm trying to remember the actual number, but it might be just one year of age. But once you start getting older, the risk of complications goes up. The process of healing is much more significant, meaning you need stitches. You need a, it's not just like a, and it's usually done in a, in a medical facility because it's there, there's more significant chance for complications as we say. Got it. Um, So that's, um, that's one. But what's interesting is I, I just wanted to go back to your, to your thing about your friend who did it when he was 13, an amazing story I once heard was about a, uh, a mohel in, in the United States during the influx of the Russian Jewry when they were coming from Russia to, you know, for now that they could leave, they came, Iron Curtain had been lifted, they came to America. Um, he, was ve- he was heavily involved in doing the circumcisions for older men and, you know, because they had, had, had not been able, just like your friend, to have it as a, as a neonate. So he uh, set everything up like I was talking about. And the uh, individual who was sitting there turned to him and said in broken English, stuck his hand out and asked for the knife and said, like Avraham. And he did it himself. Yeah. He did it himself. Uh, And that's, so that's, that's what I think of. When I think of Russians, that's what I think of. Like very, very tough. You know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised, but not a little surprised that he asked to have it done when he was 13. That's really impressive. No, and he's tremendous. And David and I are, are, are still good friends. And actually when his first grandson was born, I didn't get to go to the circumcision, but I got, oh, I, I was overcome with emotion vicariously because I knew how amazing it was and what he, and also knowing that bit about his, um, his history. Yeah. Um, it, of course, we have been doing this for nearly 4,000 years and it's not everybody. There've right. been periods in history where it's been impossible or in Nazi Europe, in fact, dangerous. Yes. Uh, to to 
get circumcised. And my, I, I want to go because circumcision, even, even in Abraham's time, maybe sometimes people would be circumcised. I don't know. Someone can research that. But now circumcision is a very common procedure that's done medically, often in hospitals, right? When the baby's born, I think sometimes can be uh, surgically like you would do with a, with a blade or or with a laser today. Yeah, some uh, people do it with laser, yep. Right? Um, but but as far as a, a, a valid Jewish circumcision, it's only with a it's only with a blade. Mm-hmm. You travel a lot. You you go to other countries where often there's not somebody to do it, and even just traveling with the blade is is uh, problematic because you can't just get on an airplane um, with with something that is a potentially dangerous tool. But sometimes you're also involved in doing circumcisions for people who aren't Jewish. Talk Correct. about that for a little bit. So actually um, my first, uh, I think it was my very first, uh, and it wasn't even an observation. It was an observation slash participation learning experience because my uh, one of my teachers who was a dentist was very much like see one, do one. You know, he was, he was really trying to get you hands-on right away. And so the very first, um, the very first circumcision I was involved with was, was, was for a couple here in Israel that wasn't Jewish. Um, and so that, that has been uh, not the majority. Actually, I do know somebody I'll just point out who's a Mohel in um, he is in, Oh, I'm forgetting somewhere in Eastern Europe and his, uh, his line is that I also do Jews. That he is, <laughs> he is he is very heavily involved in the Muslim community, doing uh, doing circumcisions ah. for that community. Um, here in Israel, it's not it's not a main part of my uh, my work, but it does happen. Um, sometimes those things that I do involve uh, a conversion process. A lot of the times, it, it could it could just be that the the father is Jewish and the mother's not. But sometimes it could be that to, uh, someone approaches me and they. Um, they want to have uh, the circumcision done in in some ways connected to what we do. Um, and so, you know, I come in and I do, I do it without the blessings that we normally do. Right. Right. That's normally how it goes. Um, but it, I would say that here in Israel, as well as in America, this is a, th- this procedure is done at a very high rate, meaning, you know, still, I think up in the seventies, if not in the 80% of all people in America, it's done. And it's not, but it's not that way in, in Europe, in Europe, it's uh, much lower. It could be 1% of the, of wow. the population. is getting wow. So, um, but yeah, it is, it's definitely a part of what I do. And I, and I am always happy to, uh, to be involved. We have a lot of, we do actually have things on the books in the law books to talk about, you know, can we, can we, how do we, and when we do do it, how do we do it? Um, but it is completely a 100% uh, acceptable. And, and I think most of the people who approach a Mohel to do these things do so because they know that we're the experts, that ah. this is something we do day in, day out. Um, and I tell people, by the way, I tell people who are Jewish, the same thing, right? People who, who approach me and say, you know, I want to make sure that I do the best thing for my son. Um, and so I'm going to go with a doctor, a surgeon. And I say, well, there's a couple problems with that. One is this person does emergency surgery. You might not get to do it the time that you thought you were going to do it. He might, this doctor might get called into emergency surgery, oh, right? Good point. That's one. Um, but two, also the, their job, although they do do surgeries, it's, this isn't their day in and day out. Are the, the Mohalim, the, the people who are doing circumcisions, Jewish circumcisions, especially, this is what we do day in, day out. So we are the experts. 
Yeah, it's funny. You're reminding me when my second daughter was eight months old, she got her finger pinched in the door and severed the tip above the above the bone, but a little tiny piece of flesh. You can still see now, 26 years later, wow. you can still see. And and I didn't know at the time. I rushed her to the to the hospital. I had this eight month old baby crying and and her finger bleeding, and mm. we and she was stitched up in the emergency room. And we were told after the fact that was a stupid thing. We needed to get a hand surgeon because the emergency room doctor was just going to do stitching, and you could still see the bump. It was medically proper, but it wasn't cosmetically well done. Exactly. So your your exactly. your your cases. Now you you're talking. It's very interesting, and and maybe just as a point of wrapping up, it's a very Jewish thing. Yes. Um, although, albeit in America, um, it, it's very common medically, um, and and I didn't know this in Europe. It could be as low as one percent. There there's one particular famous European family that's not Jewish. That has, mm-hmm. as I understand correctly, and maybe you can enlighten us, that has all of their male uh, children circumcised, and that's and, and and timely because he's now the king of England and his sons. Correct. So what, I, I, will, I will. So I'll tell you the uh, the royal family in England that was it was, and I want to say was unfortunately that their uh, custom to have circumcision done, done by a mohel, done by a Jewish circum, you know, a ritual circumciser from the Jewish tradition. Um, and from what I understand, Diana was the one who stopped that. Oh. So the, the sons now are not doing it. Now, the reason it was done was because um, they believed it to be uh, a sign of royalty. They believed that this was the, you know, a sign of upper class to be, to be circumcised. Um, and it's interesting because, we in Israel, in the Israeli military, follow the the sort of traditions, so to speak, when it comes to the we we got a lot of our traditions in the military from the British. And if you look at the actual listing on the uh, on the sort of physical, right? When you get a physical, when you're in, when taken into the army, if you are circumcised, it's actually seen as a negative. Correct. Right? It's a, like a mark off. Which is so funny that the, that the royalty saw it as a sign of you know royalty, whereas the somehow somewhere else in in, in the English world they didn't see it that way. Um, but yes, it was a, it was a tradition that that the, that they used a moil, and I think it was one moil in specific, um, and he did that up until not that long ago. Um, but unfortunately, it is not something that's being done anymore. So, according to what you know, King Charles is the last one who was. I believe. I believe. Or maybe his brother. His brother. Yeah, his uh, brother is right. Exactly. His generation was the last uh, generation to have it. Fascinating. Yes. Uh, we'll have to dig into that. Yeah. Um, before we close, you you you, uh, you you said something about you know your first the first circumcision you did, and you said it's just you and me. Tell us a funny story. Okay. Uh, funny story. All right. I'll tell you a funny story. So when I was very early on in my career, um, I was contacted by someone and he asked me, he said, do you come to Tel Aviv to do circumcision, to do circumcisions? And I said, sure. I mean, it wasn't actually, I wasn't actually traveling at that time. I don't think. And if I was, it was only one or two places. So now when people ask me, do you travel, you know, 45 minutes from where you are, I always say I, I travel to Europe to do Britot. Uh, I, you know, this isn't such a big trip. This is like local for me. So I said, sure, I'll come to, I'll come to Tel Aviv. And the guy says, okay, um, I need you. Can you meet me at this mall? <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, it seemed a little odd 
I wasn't really sure what was going on, but at the same time, there are social halls, you know what I mean? And uh, restaurants. Yeah. So I thought, okay, it's going to be in a restaurant. I show up, I park. I'm always early. I try to, I try to always be early, at least around a half hour early so that I'm not rushed. And, um, and so the I go parents in. parents aren't freaking out. Yeah, exactly. I don't want anybody to be freaking out, especially me, but definitely not them. So I go into the, to the, to the mall and I find a restaurant and I said, hi, is there, is there a, a bris here? And the person says, no, we've got nothing, nothing going on. And I said, oh, that's weird. So I waited and I waited and I waited. Finally, this person calls and says, oh, I'm downstairs. And I come down and he's, he steps out of the, his car and it's, it's literally like he's a painter. I mean, he's got like, I mean, like house painter, not like a, you know, Picasso. And so he gets out of the car and he says, oh, come into the front and, you know, we'll take you where we're going. And I said, okay, I didn't, and I got in the car. And we start to drive away and I hear this noise behind me and it was a baby crying. And I, and I, and I turn around and the mother is of the baby is holding the baby, not in a car seat of any kind in the back of the car. And I was like, this, something is very off here. I mean, I, if I wasn't already certain, yeah, now I was certain. And as we started to drive on this back road, like a dirt road behind the mall, uh, there were dogs barking everywhere. I thought for a second, the thought crossed my mind. I was like, they're going to kill me and take my tools and sell them. Like, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I, I was so scared. We get to this, I don't know what to call it, one story house kind of a thing. I mean, it wasn't a caravan. We have lots of caravans around here, but it wasn't a caravan, but it was close. And we get out and we go in and it's just this gentleman who called me, who I assumed was the father. And the mother and me. And uh, I said, okay, you know, just, like just the same sort of a thing. I said, I'm very weirded out by this whole situation, but it, I need to focus on this baby and give him the best care that he can possibly get. I did it. The father then gets me and takes me back, leaves the mother and the baby in this apartment, whatever house. And we drive back to the mall. And as we're driving back, he said, listen, please don't call me tomorrow. I'm going to be with my kids. And I said, that's weird. I said, well, how did the two of you meet? And he said, I was painting her house. And I realized this was an extramarital affair. This gentleman did not want anyone to know about, but she still, this baby still needed a bris. So he got what he, you know, he got a bris and thank God everything was, but it was, it was one of the craziest ones I've ever done for sure. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And Rabbi Leiter, thank you for, for sharing. All of the insight, the dialogue building up to this point where we're now in Genesis 17 and God has formalized the covenant and changed Abraham's name and changed Sarah's name. And now for 4,000 years, we've been almost 4,000 years, we've been doing this same thing that uh, is a physical mark of of the, the enduring covenant that God made with Abraham that we still have today. My pleasure. It's a delight. Um, if you've stayed with us this long, well, actually, the, the conversations like this are a, a reward in and of itself. But but earlier this year, we began a great uh, project. The Genesis One Two Three offers a special gift every month. We call it From Jonathan's Bookshelf. And all we ask is that you do is go to the inspiration from Zion social media and like and follow us. And when you comment and share the link to this program every month, we're going to select one person to receive a special volume that's relating to Israel and the Jewish people. And this month, I'm so excited that we're going to be giving away a fabulous book that I was able to receive an early copy of and uh, did a review of. It's called The Jewish Book of Knowledge. It's got about everything you can imagine in one volume. And it's so interesting because it's not online. It's a regular, old-fashioned, stunning book. So I want you to 
follow us and like us and share this this podcast. I always have to thank our podcast sponsors. First of all, the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. Always, if you're in the area, go in and tell them thank you for helping make programs like this possible. And thank you to the Coin family as well for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges between Jews and Christians. This episode, um, or, or if you'd like to sponsor an episode or future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. Like this episode was the product of a inquiry from one of our listeners. We'd love to hear your comments and questions, especially questions about traditional Judaism for programs like this, the Ask the Rabbi programs. So please be in touch. And also please share this with others who you know who will also find it of interest and continue to to follow Inspiration from Zion, where you're going to hear topics and conversations about things relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy, and I send my blessings from right here in the Judean Mountains. God bless you.